Hi, welcome to The Landscape, a Cranes Cleveland podcast. I'm Dan Paletta. Thanks so much for joining us. The Landscape is brought to you with the support of Delta Dental of Ohio. You can find out more by visiting deltadentaloh.com. One might argue that you'd have to go back to the Gilded Age to find an era that is as deeply partisan as our current times. But amidst the fire-breathing rhetoric that comes from both sides, there are some voices of reason, including Congressman Dave Joyce of Ohio's 14th District. Congressman Joyce has taken a few minutes out of his busy schedule to join us today. Congressman, welcome to The Landscape. Thank you very much, Dan. I appreciate you having me on. Before we dive into some particular issues, let's talk a bit about your background. I think it's one with which a lot of our listeners can identify. You grew up in Cleveland. You're an Irish Catholic, in fact, born on St. Patrick's Day. Your father was a coal salesman. How does all that shape your political views? You know, my father uh, was also shot and left for dead during World War II. and went to John Carroll on the GI Bill and worked his way up from being the, uh, a laborer to the CEO of the company. So he was always enforced to us. Education was key, and the fact that uh, you work hard uh, and and just pay attention to what you're doing, that success will follow. And so I've always used that sort of as my backdrop. And and you know, Cleveland's a good in northeastern Ohio is a good city to which you grow up in. You know, we're used to uh, disappointment, but we keep trying again year after year with the Browns. <laughs> Cavs played pretty well last night, though. Yes, they <laughs> as, did. As we record this conversation on uh, Wednesday the 19th. So what in particular led you to become a Republican? What were some of the things you thought, this party fits me? Well, you know, when I first came home and I was working down in Cuyahoga County, that's sort of a lonely place to be. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, the good part about it was that uh, I went out to Geauga County, uh, where I grew up, and then that was uh, more Republicans. But I basically got involved more in the party to help behind the scenes than I was necessarily the person. But then when it came time, uh, the local prosecutor got elected municipal court judge. And so the slot was open to be a, for appointment. And I look around the room and the other three people jumping into the race, I'd never seen before at any event. So I figured, well, I might as well put my own name in as well. And then I got appointed prosecutor. And look, you know, Dan, I'm not lying. I love that job. 25 years uh, being a prosecutor in the town you grew up in or the county you grew up in. I got to raise the kids there, got to coach and, and do things. And But if I was in trial or in a big investigation, I pretty much could set my own schedule. So it worked very well for me. But after the Chardon school shooting, I just came home that night and I told my wife, I'm done. I got to try something else. And lo and behold, uh, when Steve Latourette decided to retire in August, it created an opening. I put my name in with 24 other people and I got the appointment and uh, 24 people hated me. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> so on your website, you talk about being proud to put policy over politics and try to work across the aisle to find solutions to challenging those challenges that face us here in Northeast Ohio. But this certainly isn't that much of a bipartisan time. How do you describe your approach to trying to work across the aisle? You know, one of the things when all the McCarthy antics were taking place there in the beginning of January, there was an article by Robert Reich, who was the former labor secretary under Clinton, I believe, and he told the Democrats, it'd be smart to rally around somebody who could get things done and cast all your votes for Dave Joyce. <laughs> he was actually Sheriff Brown who <laughs> turned me on to the article. And, uh, you know, I, I'm proud of the fact that, you know, all you're really worth is your handshake and your word. And so yeah, I've worked hard to dedicate myself to making sure that people understand that when we, when I tell them that I'm going to do something, I'm not going to go stand in front of a camera and say this exact opposite. Uh, you know, and I, I made a, I've been working with Senator Schumer on something, 
And, you know, we shake hands walking out. I said, believe me, I'll never talk about this again until we're together. And, and uh, I'll work on my side to help try to pass this through. And, and that's the kind of thing that you, know, you build trust upon. And, and, and people know the ones who are here for headlines and those who are here to get the work done. And so I like to consider myself one of the workhorses versus the show horses here. As a person who's just an observer of politics, I often feel like I'm watching politicians from both sides of the aisle sort of throwing red meat to their constituents. Like, they're, these are fun and easy things to say to sort of own the other party, but at the end of the day, they don't really get anything done. Correct. And that's the sad part about it. You know, get up and say, well, no one should vote for this. I, uh, you know, talk about why you don't vote for it and why it's not right for your district, but don't talk about why other people in your own party who have voted for something or maybe collaborate with the other side to put something uh, together because this, ca- this country was not built on being all red or all blue. It was built on being red, white, and blue and coming here and putting and working for your country. And so I've tried to continue that uh, since the day I got here. I mean, I went, so when I first got here and I was a little frustrated, I went back and picked up the uh, book for, it was about Tip O'Neill and uh, Ronald Reagan and how they got along. And, you know, they, Ronald Reagan invited him over one night for dinner uh, and, he got there with his wife, and it was just uh, Reagan and his wife and his chief of staff and his wife. And the six of them sat down and, you know, had a, some brown mineral water and had a nice dinner. And uh, at the end of it, they came to the understanding that from eight to six, it's politics. And from and the evenings, we're all going to go back to living our lives and being gentlemen. And I, I don't know when it got busted up here. A lot of people blame uh, Newt Gingrich as the person who created this politics of animosity. But uh, whoever it is, we need to get back to centralized uh, government where we work together towards a common approach and do what's in the best interest of our country. Because when you, whether it's the debt ceiling, Social Security, and Medicare, you can't say one side or the other is right or wrong. We got to say we got to work on this to fix it for the system. Because if you take something like Social Security, I mean, the, the, this is something that we're, it's a show game. We're lying to our kids, we're putting money in because there's not going to be enough money in the trust fund to pay them out. There's ways to cure it, but you have to have an intelligent adult discussion about what the problems are, what the potential solutions are. Americans understand shared sacrifice and lay out the program and so the American public could see it and then explain to them, you know, wait, call into your congressman or to your uh, senator and weigh in on what you think is the right way to fix the problem. You mentioned the debt ceiling. Obviously, Congress is heading into this showdown with the Biden administration over the ceiling. What are your thoughts about how we should resolve this issue? Well, I've been, I'm a, the chair of the Republican Governance Group, which is, I know we use the word moderate, but I like to think we're still conservative. We just are a little more sober about the politics of this town. Uh, we don't go out to just play to the media like some of you discussed. So we, we try to find uh, work towards yes. And, and this is the first time, i got to admit, my 10 years here, that uh, Kevin McCarthy has done the right thing as speaker and put the five different groups, or he likes to refer them to five families in a room, the leaders of it, and start to hash out this framework, which we've been doing over the last few months, and it was just uh, addressed to the conference yesterday by Kevin. But we, you know, it lays out at least a skeletal framework, and now it's going to be a little more push to get put the muscle on this. But I do think it lays a positive framework for which to to move the debt ceiling, or at least start the discussion, because right now the White House and the Senate won't engage. They say they want our budget, but the president put out a budget that doesn't make any sense, and we'd rather put out things that we can actually talk about, like how we can actually reduce spending and you know, rein in the debt uh, of our country. But the real triggers of this are mandatory spending, which is you know, Social Security, Medicare, 
Medicaid, that's 74% of our savings, and the other 26% being discretionary, we're not going to cut our way back from $31.5 trillion based upon cutting that amount. So we need to start talking about the things that are truly driving the debt, but in the meantime, control the spending that just got outrageous during the COVID uh, epidemic. Talking about both debt and the deficit, which is, of course, a slightly different thing, is it fair sometimes I think cynics say that whatever party is out of power all of a sudden becomes concerned with the debt <laughs> and, and, and the deficit, as President, Vice President Cheney said, as Ronald Reagan said, you know, deficits don't matter. But then when the other party's in power, it's like, we need to fix this problem. Is that a fair criticism of both parties? Absolutely, Dan. You hit it on the head. I mean, look at the numbers went up uh, uh, under Trump. Uh, the numbers went up under Obama, the numbers went up under Bush, and nobody's really had it under control since, uh, you know, it was back towards almost Clinton days. I think it was during President Clinton. We got back to at least a, uh, a low, much lower than it is right now. This episode of The Landscape is brought to you by Delta Dental of Ohio. With offices in Cleveland, Cincinnati, and Dublin, Delta Dental of Ohio is proud to be an industry leader in dental benefits. Together with our customers, providers, and employees, we build a higher standard of oral health care in our communities. And we are more than dental. At Delta Dental of Ohio, we work with entrepreneurs, innovators, and changemakers who are committed to improving the health and well-being of all Buckeyes. Together, we are building healthy, smart, vibrant communities for all. We're joined today by Congressman Dave Joyce of Ohio's 14th District. He joins us today for The Landscape, a Cranes Cleveland podcast. I'm Dan Paletta. Congressman, you mentioned you spent this time in Geauga County as the prosecutor for some 25 years. I can barely stand to turn on the television news every night. It's violence and violence with guns. What can we do to solve this problem? I know that's a huge question, but just from your perspective, having been a prosecutor, what do we need to do? Well, you know, the first thing everybody uh, jumps to here is we've got to ban guns. Well, first off, that's not going to happen. Let's be realistic about it. The guns are already out in, in civilization. Uh, but, you know, it, it's like saying that the car, uh, when a drunken driver kills a family, it's like saying the car was at fault. And, you know, it's the person who's behind the car or the gun that creates the issue. And I think ever since back in the 70s, we, we gave up on mental health facilities and we basically made our prisons and jails the, the mental health facilities. And uh, that's continued and been exacerbated, I think, during the pandemic where more and more people were homeless and you had people getting pushed out because they didn't have anywhere else to go or they couldn't get their treatment anymore because there weren't walk-ins for them. And we continue to, to have this problem and not address it. Well, we need to. And one of the things that I voted for in the bill last year was that uh, it had at least some operative mental health money in there for you know counties and states to be able to be allocated to help try to treat this uh, before it becomes the issue it is. But I know from dealing with it, it there at uh, in Chardon, uh, the young kid who was sitting across from me, uh, you know, I, you could just look in his face. You could tell that it did not register him the severity and the permanence of what he had done. And unfortunately, I think, I know people think I'm crazy for saying this, but the games that kids play now where they, they shoot each other and blow each other up, and then 15 seconds later they spawn and they got a new life, that doesn't exist in real life. And so I really think we have to change those images, and the entertainment industry is just as guilty as the uh, mental health industry, and, and not that mental health industry is necessarily guilty, but 
certainly they've uh, there's not enough resources there and the entertainment industry exacerbates the issue for those who are mentally ill like somehow their problems are going to be solved by uh, shooting other people or you know destroying their communities in addition to violence, another problem this country suffers from is this whole problem that continues with the opioid epidemic. You're the vice chair of the Addiction Treatment and Recovery Caucus. doesn't seem quite get the headlines it used to, but it's still a big problem. What's Congress doing to help combat that issue? It's a huge problem, and the problem's been exacerbated by the fact that China keeps on sending the precursors into Mexico, where now that they compound them in what makes it look like kill, pills, and, you know, there's poor, two poor girls, college girls. Now, granted, they shouldn't have been taking something from somebody they didn't know, but thought they were taking Adderall and got killed in, on the Ohio State campus last year trying to get ready to study for exams. That's the kind of stuff that just drives you nuts. And, and now my new job is the chair of the Homeland Security Committee, Coast Guard's under my uh, purview, and, and, and discussing it with them and the interdictions they've tried. They're saying, you know, you think about it, uh, it first started with marijuana, and that was in huge bales. Then it went to Coke, which is more uh, condensed, and now they've condensed it to these pills. So any any uh, minimal-sized boat could be carrying enough to kill a whole community. And it's not like these people down there in the cartels are chemists and know what exactly the contents of what they're putting together. They're just trying to compress pills and send them out to make money. So unfortunately, the warning I can give is if you didn't receive it from a pharmacy, please do not touch anything that does that you don't have uh, direct contact with a pharmacy to get because you never know what's going to be in what looks to be your medication or something that you might have been prescribed that you didn't get from your prescriber or from a pharmacy because, you know, we're killing so many kids every year. I don't understand why we don't declare war on it we got to call those uh, cartels terrorist organizations they are because they're just coming in and, and China actively behind it and killing our kids at a rapid rate. And it's just, to me, it really deserves an all-out effort uh, on, by every uh, force of, that we have from the Army to the Navy to, the, to uh, local law enforcement to the FBI and squash this once and for all. Congressman, you're also the Republican co-chair of the Congressional Cannabis Caucus. You've been regarded over the past several years as an ally on the marijuana reform movement. But there hasn't been much success in achieving reforms at the federal level, and it comes a lot of the resistance comes from your party, even though Americans at around 68% say they're in favor of this kind of reform. What's the problem in getting this legislation backed? Well, with every, almost every state taking some type of action on this issue, it's past time for us to recognize that our continuing cannabis prohibition here is neither tenable nor the will of the American people. You're exactly right. And I watched it in Ohio, and I watched it, you know, it starts off as medical. As I understand it, Ohio is going to have an amendment on to try to take it fully legal. Well, if you look at the states that have had it, and once I saw Colorado the first month taking $30 million in tax revenue, you realize no governor is going to turn this away when it's a newfound source of revenue that they don't have to actually tax you know, or have people complain about it. And the industry comes here to D.C. and they say, we're the only industry that comes here that wants to be taxed and regulated. So I just think that if you know, we can't continue to pretend we don't see it or play a game where it's illegal but we're not going to pay attention to it, it's a state's rights issue. The states have managed to create the regulations and boundaries similar to what we do with alcohol. And that's why I created the PREPARE Act that I just filed this week with my friend Hakeem Jeffries that talks about if, in fact, that the, you know, the federal government should make it legal, then what would it look like? And sort of copy the, the formats that have been there for wine and spirit wholesalers in the beer industry for years and, and put safeguards in place because we don't want kids to get it. We do want more research on it for what it is and what it isn't good for. 
and we also want to make sure that uh, you know the people who are in the industry uh, you know are, are legitimate using the banking system because what better way to control access to to what people have making and what they're earning because as I know in the state of Ohio you produce X you, uh, you can sell it for Y so you know you better be putting X Y minus into the bank. Otherwise, you, you know, yes, there, there is something else going on there. So, you know, as we say here, we should make it similar to where way we run casinos, where everybody's hands are on board. You know what the, the take is, and you know that this, you know, that's why I've been a proponent of safe banking because it uh, provide a, just a safe harbor for these the institutions to be able to take that money and uh, you know access and do what banks do, is multiply it in their communities by you know spitting off other loans. Finally, Congressman, with all the doom and gloom we see on the news, it's easy to say, man, I don't know what direction this country's going. Are you optimistic about where we're heading in this country? Look, you know, as I look around this building, there, there's 435 people who were duly elected by the people in their districts who love their country. They just happen to see the, the ways we move forward and a little bit differently. So, you know, I, I was hoping that uh, after all the division of the last uh, president that, uh, you know, perhaps Senator, then now President Biden would come in and after being vice president and senator for so long and go back to some of the old things that he used to. But uh, unfortunately, the us against them uh, standards have still stayed in place. You know, and I just don't think it's right. I, I think we need to, as, as I said before, we, we run with red or blue jerseys on, but we need to cast them aside on January 3rd when you get sworn in and put on red, white, and blue jerseys and remember what's in the best interest of the country. And I think it's up to the people in the districts to, to you know, watch out, to see who they're voting for, to make sure that these people aren't, as you brought up, Dan, all talk, no action. You know, at the end of the day, we have, you should measure the person by what they're actually getting accomplished and uh, what they're doing for not only their district but their country and whether they're an obstacle to getting progress done or whether they're actually working in concert with their other members to pass meaningful legislation that moves our country forward. And I know that's a critical standard that's unfortunately been lost in the age of social media because everybody comes here wanting to be a TikTok star. But you know, mm -hmm. the, it, the unfortunate part about that is those people who say crazy things make a lot of money online also. Uh, and, and so those of us who work hard, keep our heads down and are productive, uh, unfortunately have to uh, be battered with the, the nonsense that's spewed by a, a small group on both sides. Congressman Dave Joyce, thanks for spending some time with us this morning for the landscape and talking about what you're doing in Washington. Great pleasure having you today. Thank you very much for having me, Dan. I look forward to chatting more. Dave Joyce is Ohio's congressional representative for the 14th District. He joined us today for the landscape of Crane's Cleveland podcast. We're presented with the support of Delta Dental of Ohio. There's more at deltadentaloh.com. I'm Dan Paletta. Thank you for joining us, and we'll talk again soon. Thank you.